you have your Bibles, please open to Daniel chapter 1. One of the saints from our church came up to me earlier and asked, are you not going back to Ecclesiastes? Like, no, I'll return. It's just a special Father's Day kind of thing, as well as just looking at the um, unique timing of our current situations, why I wanted to um, teach on Daniel chapter 1. But before we start, let me do a short prayer. Father God, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. In your son's name I pray, amen. Reverse engineering is the reproduction of another manufacturer's product following careful, detailed examination for its construction. It's this idea of you looking at a product and you try to work backwards from it. Um, it's supposed to study a certain thing, and usually it's uh, some object that they see and they want to kind of deconstruct it to find how they make this particular product. And usually it's, for, it's to make a product better or to find a way to maybe copy it. The only times you really see it that's applied in real life it's when people are like spies and try to steal people's technology or um, in like movies and stuff or sci-fi things about the future and then try to find some device and explain how these things work. But this principle actually carries over to things like parenting and even our own sanctification. When I was still single and in college, one of the things I've learned was that if you want to uh, grow in Christ-likeness, you need to look at the end product and, and see that and want to find ways to get to that point. And it comes to parenting, it was the same idea. If you want to parent your child to be a particular person, you need to, you need to set a goal for them and try to work backwards from there. So, you, for example, if you want your kids to love the church, if that's the end goal that you want, then you prioritize a church in your life, that you talk about church, you explain to church the, the, the greatness of, of going to church and worshiping God, and you, and you yourself have this attitude of excitement about the church. Or if it's working hard, you want to prioritize that in the life of your child. You, you work hard in front of them, and you teach them how to work hard. And again, you, you talk about the, the blessings and the benefits of that and the dangers of not working hard, and you work hard, you discipline yourself. And I know, and I think all of us know, that as a Christian, that our greatest hope is that we want our children, or even ourselves, to be like our Savior Jesus Christ. That we strive to live in such a way so that we can be that perfect person. The hope is that you and I will have this aim so whether you're parenting or working your own life, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you train yourself or your child to do whatever you want them to be, which is hopefully <clears throat> to be like Christ. Study Christ. Studying Christ is the job of the Christian. This is part of the daily life. You work your way to be more and more like him. You need to cultivate this in your own heart and in the life of the child if you want to get them there. It's a, it's a daily task. It's something that it's, it takes a long time to do, but just like your own sanctification, there's this slow progress. But as you lean close to the Lord and you study Scripture, you will model 
uh, our Savior. Now, I think it is easy to do such a thing when the, when the world is for Christianity. It's easier to want to train your kids to prioritize Christianity when it's easy to be a Christian. But as we notice in this last year, it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian because there's this more antagonism towards Christianity. And I think Daniel gives us one kind of model on how we can honor the Lord while we live in this strange new world. Our world is strange because it will, you know, there's this anger and it will be even more stranger when sin runs rampant in our world and sin is promoted and permitted. Now, the reason why, again, why I wanted to do this particular sermon for this morning was that originally I had this sermon in mind for a college and career um, fellowship group. Initially, we were going to go to the retreat together, and this was going to be my message for them about how we, need to, how we can honor the Lord in the world that's very strange. I had no idea then that the world will be even stranger just a mere year from now, and how the world just seems to the world that we're familiar with has just changed so drastically in the last year and a half. A lot has changed in the last year, and, this, and again, this, the strange world will only get stranger as the world becomes distant from what we know, which is the Word of God. And it does feel like that, doesn't it? It feels like the world that we know just about a year or even a, a two years ago is completely gone. So how can Christians live in such a strange and bizarre world? How can we be a light in light of all of this? The Christian life is a life that expects us to engage in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 10, Paul talks about how you, know, you can't escape being around other people, especially immoral people. Otherwise, you need to leave the planet. Now, I know that you know, because of our technology, you can maybe fly to the moon and Mars one day, but that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul is just explaining that you, there, everyone around you are sinners, and the world and the universe is, is broken as a whole. So there's no way to escape. You have to be with other people. And Daniel gives us an excellent example on how we can stand with confidence and live faithfully for God in a foreign land, in a world that's ideas and morality is so different from what Daniel is used to. We can understand what that is like. The biblical worldview or the biblical ethic is, is, is eroding in our society. Daniel gives us a model on how you can endure in a world like this. Daniel chapter 1 to chapter 6 shows us that Daniel has the unique ability that God has given him to see into the future. Whereas the last half of this book, Daniel 7 to 12, details of how God's plan in all of history. God is in control. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms will fall. And this chapter teaches us how, teaches how to stand boldly for God, even when cultures rise and when cultures fall and when cultures rise again and another falls again. It's just the cycle of living in a fallen world. But yet there's still a constant, that is, we are still called to be faithful to the Lord. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his land, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. This 
setting here right now is 605 BC. And uh, if you're familiar with 2 Kings, this should sound familiar because this is how they got to that point. You know, the, the, the story is set in Babylon. The people are no longer uh, in the land that they're familiar with. 2 Kings 25 reads this. This is the last chapter of 2 Kings. Now in the ninth year of the reign of the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, and he and all his army against Jerusalem camped against it, built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. So there was Babylonian came, they rose up, they attacked them, and then they built this wall <coughs> that's kind of like surrounding them so that they could starve them out. That's what, that was a, that was a very a smart strategy in terms of war. First of all, then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by the, by the way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden. Though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by the way of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the kings and overtook him in, in the plains of Jericho, and all his armies were scattered from them. Then they captured the king, brought him to the king of Babylon at Ribda, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the son of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. So this is the last king. He was the last king there. He, he saw his family killed in front of them. They blinded him. Then they paraded him into Babylon. And it's a way to just taunt them, right? It's to show, hey, you're, you're, you've lost, king. You're now one of our blind servants here. Verse 8, now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the, king, the, the, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of Yahweh, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Even every great house he burned with fire. So all the army of Chaldeans, who were with the captains of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters, who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the people, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried in carried away into exile. This is not what you would call a peaceful transition. You know, the people, the Jewish people were destroyed, their land was taken over, and they were pulled out of the land. And this is, and I think Daniel was one of those people that were pulled out. Daniel was probably around 14 years old around this time, so he has this memory of the life that he used to have. You know, the culture that he was used to, the life that he's so familiar with is all gone. He is now in this strange New world. Israel taken out because of their sin. And, and you know, first Assyria captured it, and then eventually the Babylonians took over the Assyrians, which shows you how small and how insignificant Israel has become because of their own sin. And one of the things that you'll notice in verse 2 is that they brought in the vessels. All the things that, were, uh, that was, you know, the vessels that were in the temple, these, these gold things that were supposed to be for Yahweh worship was taken out, and now they're put into the Babylonian temples. Now there's this cultural background thing about Babylonia. When you enter into the gate, usually what you'll see is those huge walls. And you, when you look up, you'll see these ceramic type of creatures, and usually like dragons and lions and everything. And it's a ceramic, so it will kind of shine into your eyes. And that's intended for, you, for the people that are captured and going in to be disoriented by it. And when they get through the tunnel, they see, they go into Babylon, there's all of these roads, but the main road leads into the temple. 
And this is where the people were carried to. And not only that they were carried to, they, they, were brought, they brought in the vessels that was in the Yahweh temple into this pagan temple. It's almost like a, a not subtle way of saying that we're all in this, we're all now, you're just now one of the many gods here. And verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of, of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youth in whom has, who was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability uh, for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are basically just the ethnic, uh, it's the ethnic name of them, where Babylonians had like their, uh, their nationality. Um, so that's why the, it goes back and forth between the two. But Nebuchadnezzar uh, wanted people, he wanted them to choose people from the royal family to serve under him. And Daniel and his friends were part of this group. And they were, again, they were paraded through Babylon as well. Like, these were Israelites' best, and now we're, they're going to serve under, uh, under my reign. They, these people were separated from the majority of their family, and, and you know, obviously there's a few of their friends left. They're away from their leaders. They're away from their um, elders. Somehow the Babylonians were able to discern, I mean, aside from, aside from the fact they're good-looking, they could see that visually, but they were able to discern, I don't know if they took a, gave them a quiz or whatever, but they were able to discern that they were intelligent, that these people were smart. And back then in Babylonian culture, you were considered a buff person or a strong person would be considered someone with a beard and muscular and has very curly hair. So like most of us here would not fit that mold. But Daniel apparently was a muscular individual with hair and a beard um, at 14 too, so it's amazing. Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. So they were, they were brought in, these unique class of Israelites were brought in, they were educated and essentially were, they were indoctrinated for three years. Now, the people here, Daniel and his friends, they had to learn the way of the Babylonian thinking. And just a side note, it's very telling, and we were familiar with this chapter, but it is very telling for us that even though Daniel and his friends were indoctrinated for three years, they learned all of these things without being corrupted by um, what they were taught. Not, and this is not a call for us to send our kids into public school or whatever. You, know, you, could, you and your family can decide what you want to do with your kids. Um, but, it is inter- but we should expose our kids to something of how the world thinks. Not so that we can corrupt them, but so that they can be aware of what's going on, so that they can expose those teachings with the Word of God. You want to shepherd your kids in your own life to think biblically, so that when you see these worldly philosophies and worldly ideas, you can say, here's what the Bible has to say. You don't want your child to have totally oblivious, totally oblivious to what's going on around them, how people think. You can only shelter them from so long, but the better way is to train them so that they know how to think clearly and biblically and know how to defend the faith. This is what Jude chapter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 tells us, how we need to um, defend the faith that's once given and passed down to us. So Daniel and his friends, they were educated here for three years. 
now to the way for us to kind of get our mind to think about how are we supposed to live in this strange world? How can we operate in our life in such a way that would glorify the Lord? Well, the first thing you need to teach yourself or your child is that you need to have good friends. First thing you need to teach them is that you need to have godly friends. So in your own life, whether you're parenting or for your own life, you need to have godly companions. Look at verse 6. Now, among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishka, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, it's really cool that, this, that the Holy Spirit placed us in, give, give, in giving us this information. So I know that we have a few Daniels here in our church. The name Daniel. I think I should, I should quiz some of your parents that have kids named Daniel. Uh, but Daniel means Yahweh is my judge, that God is my judge. Um, and Hananiah means God shows us grace. Uh, Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah is God helps us. Now, when the, when the, I would imagine when the Babylonians say, hey, tell, identify yourself. What is your name? And then when they heard these names, like, what does that mean? That sounds really cool. And then they, when they explained their name, they're like, okay, no, we can't do that. We're going to change your names. And the name that they gave them for Daniel is Belshazzar, which means Bel, which is the, one of the names of their god, protects life. For Hananiah, it was Shadrach, which means at the command of, of, of the moon god. Their moon god's name was Aku. Uh, Mishael to Mishka is who is like the moon god. And Azariah to Abednego means servants of Abu, which is another one of their gods. Now this is fascinating because, as again, if, as we know, we're familiar with the story. One of the things that they were willing to take is that the, they were willing to take these names. They were willing to take on these names. Even though these were humiliating names, they took it on, but that did not change their character. Be prepared to be called a lot of things living in this world now. Because of your love for the Lord, you're going to be viewed a certain way. There's going to be certain names and derogatory things thrown at you because of your faithfulness and your allegiance to the Lord. Daniel and his friends didn't care so much about what they were called in this world because they know, they knew and they understood that God knows who they are. They are familiar with, they know who they love the most and they didn't care what the exterior uh, what, what the people would call them. They took on this humiliation. They were able to do this and, and keep striving together was because they had one another. They have um, each other to, to keep encouraging each other. Now, this is, again, a principle for us. Let's live in this world. We need to prioritize godly friendships. You need to be a godly individual, and then you need to find godly friends. Um, we know that 1 Corinthians 15, verse, 35, verse 33, tells us that Bad company corrupts good morals. So you want to be a godly individual and you need to find godly friends. Be a friend that's godly then and have godly influences in your life. Now this does not mean that you don't have any non-believers in your life, but the ones that have the greatest influence and encouragement in your life should be believers. So how do we do that? How do we find godly friends? How do we be a godly person? You study the scriptures. You look at the book of Proverbs and about how to control your tongue and how the things that you say must be wise and, and the way that you act should be of mature stature and the, you, know, you care for other people. Be a godly friend and teach your kids to find godly friends and be a godly friend as well. This means that for us, especially in the time of COVID, 
that we need to prioritize being in each other's life. Now, I understand because of, of COVID that there is a hesitancy to meet in person. I get that. Um, but at a certain point, you have to be willing to act in faith and trust in the Lord because being with one another is a means of grace for the Lord to sanctify you. You need other people to confront you. You need other people to encourage you. In a time where it's so hard to be a Christian, it can be very discouraging and it may feel very lonely. But we have to understand that that's what the church is here for. We're here for one another. We are here on a Sunday to hear God's words preached, to sing with each other, and to worship the God together, and also to encourage each other, to sharpen one another so that we can walk faithfully in this coming week. You know, whatever, whether you're part of a fellowship group or a small group, you need those type of uh, fellowship and, and fel- with one another because it's supposed to encourage you to keep honoring the Lord in your life. There's going to be discouragements. You need other people to pray for you. So I would encourage you, yes, I understand the health reasons of why we want to do things online, but at certain points, you need to understand the importance of being in person with other people. So be a godly friend and find a godly friend. That's our first point. If you want to live in, a stra- in this strange world, you need to teach your kids or teach yourself to find and be a godly friend, to have godly companions in your life. Second, you need to teach yourself or your child that they need to be someone of godly character. That you need to teach yourself to have godly character, and you want to teach your kids to have godly character. Verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the official that he might not defile himself. Daniel here had conviction. He made up his mind that he did not want to eat the food. Uh, he chose to eat the lesser food, the vegetables. Um, <laughs> The king's first assignment for them, for the commander here, is like, hey, you need to give these choice food for uh, these Israelites because I want them to look good. I want to, get them to, I want to preserve their physique. I want, them to, I want other people to see how great my food is. But Daniel understood what was happening. He chose to say, no thanks. And they were, again, uh, the, the, this was not a culture that... Uh, that was tolerant. You know, they wanted people to simulate into their lifestyle. That's why they had all this education. That's why they forced them to learn their language. It seems impossible you know, to, to go against this. They, they were already indoctrinated with all of these different things. But Daniel said no. Now, there were different debates on whether or not why did Daniel say no. And I think the natural one for us to think is, like, oh, it's because it's not kosher. And, and you know, this, these things were... of. You know, dirty meat kind of thing is unclean. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the reason. Partially, it was because the temple is gone. The priests are gone. There's no way for them to verify things. There's no way for them to clean things. I think the reason for this was because when back in the Babylonian time, when they ate together, it was in the temple. It was in the temple, and they were with all of these pagan gods, and this was their way of saying, it was like, almost like their communion service. And Daniel did not want to be part of that. But they were all eating the food and they were offering the foods to the pagan gods. And Daniel said, no, that's the line where I'm going to draw. I can take the humiliation of changing my name. I can learn all the things that you guys want, but I'm not going to associate myself with you guys in the way that I live. And I think that's what Daniel and his friends were doing. They didn't want to be a part of that lifestyle. This is kind of like what Psalm chapter 1 talks about. That he didn't want, they didn't want to dine with sinners in that way. Verse 9, now God granted Daniel favor 
and compassion in the sight of the commander of officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid for my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your face looking more haggard than the youth who are your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head to the king. So basically, the, the commander was like, okay, you have to eat or I'm going to die. I have to make you look good so I can look good. You have to do this. But Daniel's response was this. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of officials had pointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's funny that they use their older, their you know, Jewish names. Uh, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and to drink. Uh, yeah, vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel's response, again, is to say no to it. He didn't want to be associated with that type of lifestyle. Again, this is this conviction that he had before he entered into the land. He had these. He was a godly individual because he understood that this is not pleasing to the Lord. I think something that we need to teach ourselves and remind ourselves and even teach our kids is this: that your child's faith cannot be tied to anyone except the Lord. When you're trying to train your kids in the faith, you cannot tell them the reason why you're going to go to church is because uh, mommy and daddy told you so. That could only work for so long because the moment mommy and daddy is gone, then, then people will just decide, oh, I don't, have to, I don't have to follow this. Godly character doesn't change just because um, godly character, because character defines who you are. You're supposed to continually bring forth these character. Character is who you are at times when no one is looking. And you are this way consistently in every situation. There are these habits Teach your child or yourself that all that you do must be tied to the Lord. Your morality must be connected to the character of God. Character, in the end, is what will remain. You want to teach them again to think in that way, to have everything tied to the Lord. It must be connected to who God is, and you need to teach yourself and your kid to see the connection between why you do those things and why you don't do certain things. Again, why do you go to church? You don't go to church because mommy and daddy said so. You go to church because we want to worship the Lord. Why do we read the Bible? We read the Bible not because it's a story time thing before you go to bed, but you want to read the Bible so that you could e- equip them to know the, the God of the universe. Why do we pray? We pray is not because it's just something we do before we eat or before we go to bed. It's not some ritualistic thing. Why do we, even, uh, why do we dress a certain way? We dress because we want to reflect uh, the image of God, we want to make sure that people see that we're modest people, that we're not trying to show off ourselves, that we want God to be made, no, we want our character to, be, to, to, be, to show rather than our physical appearance. Because that's what the Babylonians did, right? Babylonians looked at all the physical things, and that's just the way the world works. But as a Christian, we, we understand that there's something greater than that, and that is our godly character. It's, it's this reason why a lot of young people, when they go from one major transition in their life to another, that they deny the faith, right? If you're a high schooler, sometimes you leave the faith in college because your faith in high school was tied to your parents or tied to your friends at church. Same with when you're in college. You may be tied to a certain Bible study, and the moment you leave college, you deny the faith because you no longer have those social circles anymore. You must remember that everything about your faith has to be tied to the Lord. It must be connected to Him and Him alone, Verse 13, 
Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, in the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servant according to what you see. So it was interesting that he said, okay, we're going we're gonna to test this. It wasn't just like, I don't want to eat this, I'm out. You know, he gave him a reason. He even told him, look, I'm going to show you that, that we can eat these foods, and we're going to be perfectly fine. We're going to function properly, which, which leads to our next point. If you want to live a uh, godly life, you want to live in this strange world, not only do you need to have good friends and godly companions and uh, godly convictions in your life, but you also need to be competent at what you do. You need, to, you need to be a competent worker. You need to teach your kids to be competent in life. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. This commander was, I mean, obviously he was scared. He's like, okay, I'm risking my life for you, for you guys. Um, because it would seem that he didn't take care of them. And this commander's life depended on it. He doesn't want his own life to be endangered. But look at this, at 15, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youth who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, this doesn't mean that they were like pouring like you know, salad dressing, and then they, they were eating all the, you know, the fatty salad dressing, and then, got, and then they got fat. Fatter is not a good translation. It's more like they were in shape, uh, that they were, you know, they, they were just muscular. They, they maintained their physical appearance. This is not a, a justification to only become like a vegetarian or whatever. This is just God's unique provision in their life at this time for, for, to keep them. So I'm not advocating like don't kill or eat animals. I am totally for that. The Old Testament God is for it too. You know, like that's why all these sacrifices were meats and not vegetables. God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice because they were vegetables. Just a side note. Verse 16, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine they were to drink. And they kept giving them vegetables, which to me would feel like punishment. But for them, for the glory of God and testimony, they just kept at it. And also, understand too, again, it's not about the food. Because in the Old, in the Old Testament law, they are, they are allowed to drink wine. So it's really just being a part of this kind of culture and lifestyle that they didn't want to be a part of even though they had this handicap of eating vegetables only and drinking water, they, they were able to still function well. Verse 17, as for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence, every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So this showed that even though they were in the eyes of the world, should have been you know, like more fatigued and tired and, and don't have energy, they were still able to do work well in the society. They, they were the best at what they were doing. They showed that they were still able to work hard and do the things that they were tasked to do. They understood the cultures and they understood the ideologies, they understood the language better than, the Babylon, better than anyone in the Babylonian society. And notice that this is at the end of verse 70, they said that they understood visions and dreams. We understood later, we understand later on when, when Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and stuff, it wasn't because of the teaching of the school of, the school of Babylonian, right? Like, like no one else was able to discern the dreams. The only reason why Daniel was able to do so was because uh, the, God, the God of Israel worked in his life. So he had this unique ability to discern the dreams. So it's just supposed to show you that the school, the Babylonian school, did not work. Their education failed them. Yeah, that's something that we understand too in principle. There are a lot of things that we study that are useless and vain, and they're just going to change over time. But you just have to learn it just so that you can operate in this world. You don't have to buy into it. You just have to learn it. Some of the sciences, some of the law things, they are, they are going to change. But just learn it so that you can be equipped to work in the world. 
And that's something that Daniel and his friends were doing. They understood what, the, what they were learning, and they, but they didn't compromise morally. Verse 18. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the official presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of all of them, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Daniel and his friends, they excelled in learning the languages, the literature, the culture, and all their ideas. They learned it even though they did not believe it. And this is, again, for us to understand that you need to work hard. If you are a student in any capacity, whether you're trying to do a trade or you're in school, like college or high school or middle school, you need to learn and master the field that you're in so that you can honor the Lord. You want to learn it and master so that you can show that this field does not make sense without a biblical worldview. Uh, I was reading R.C. Sproul's uh, biography a few a month or two ago, and he was a philosophy major. And what made him so unique is he, he understood everything in terms of every philosopher, all their thoughts, all their logic. He understood all of that, and he said, here's why this view is missing, because here's some biblical uh, passages that like, kind of connect. Like, they were so close in all of their wisdom and understanding, but if they just had this one thing, then it makes perfect sense. It kind of ties everything together. Our disposal was such a strong apologist because when people say, oh, I believe in this school, he's like, no, yeah, here's, I believe this, I know what you're saying, here's what uh, that person wrote, and here's the argument against it. He owned that field so that he can be an apologist. Now, whatever field that you're part of, you want to own it just so that you can give a biblical understanding of what those things are. Don't shy away from certain fields just because, you know, it seems anti-Christian. I think sometimes we think if you're in the sciences, that must mean you're antithetical to the, Christian, to the Christian faith. No, that's not the case. I think science is just a means to explain how God works through all things. It's just a means. It's not to say that, like, oh, if I believe in science, therefore I deny the Lord. No, learn it and own it so that you can see the holes that's in those views. Every worldview has some sort of um, something lacking in every um, field of work. There's something missing. But the Bible gives us answer to those things. Learn it and master it so that you can, so the, so that, you know, so that you can be a good testimony. Don't, you don't need to buy into it. Even if you learn it, just learn knowing that these things are not going to last, learn it so that you can, at least in the workforce, you could be seen as someone that's worked hard. Daniel was known for his ability and his work ethic. He took the time to study and got better at his work. The Christian life is a life of action. You're supposed to do something with your life. It's attractive to produce results in whatever work you're in. You should be the one, you should be one of the best workers in whatever field you're in. I'm not saying all Christians should be CEOs or whatever. I'm just saying that if you're the janitor, you must be the best janitor at where you're working at. If you are a lawyer, you must be the best lawyer in your, in your law firm. If whatever field you are in, you must be known as the best worker there. And you do it not because for the paycheck, not for the recognition, not for the promotion, none of that. The reason why you do things is because you want to do it for the glory of God. You, you, you're the main, your main master is God himself. You work for him and for him alone. That's what Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, <coughs> excuse me, 
Verse 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. So when you work hard, you have to understand that you work hard only uh, for the Lord. Now, I know we live in a world that there tends to be these extremes where there are people that are obsessed with their work and they're actually good at it or they're lazy and they're bad at their work. These are the, these are the extremes. But at least competent people, people that are able to produce things, even to the outside world, they're attractive. There's, okay, I want this person on my team. I want to work with this person because they work hard. It's better if you were to choose between the good worker or the lazy person, choose the good worker because at least you can contribute to your job. You can contribute to society. The Bible speaks very negatively towards laziness. The Bible, if you read Proverbs, it's, it's, it does not, the Lord is not pleased when you choose to be lazy because laziness is an idol of rest. You idolize rest and, 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 it, and it doesn't benefit those that, that, you know, that hired you or that you work with. It makes God look bad. Not working hard is not about, it doesn't only make you look bad, but it makes the Lord look bad. Hard working, at minimum, helps other people. Laziness doesn't bless anyone. The Christian must be known as one of the best workers. You must go beyond the normal task. This is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 reminds us of why we need to work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. <clears throat> for indeed, you do practice it, toward all brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hand just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders, not in any need. You need to be known as someone that works hard. Look, Daniel and his friends, they were, it says here that they, they were 10 times better than all of the pagan uh, leaders there. You know, all the other students, their peers that believed in other gods, they were 10 times better. And I want to challenge you and ask you this question. Are you 10 times better as a worker than the, your fellow Mormon work, co-worker? Or your Jehovah Witness co-workers? Or are they known as a hard worker and the Christians known as a lazy one? You, your testimony matters. You need to work hard for the glory of God. Because you have to understand that even in a fallen world, if you work hard and you produce well, even if you, they see that you believe in this biblical worldview and you are a Christian, you go to church and you hold to a biblical ethic, you want to work so hard and be such a blessing to that company that if they were to fire you on those bases, that it will take a hit for them. That they're like, oh man, if we lose this employee, that we're not going to make that much money. You, you want to work so hard that it's going to cost them something for, you, for them to fire you because of your faith. It's so sad that in the Christian world that we are very, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we don't work hard. You know, we think, oh, salvation is by faith through grace, therefore why do I need to work hard in life? It's like, no, you need to, your salvation is, is, is by the work of Christ, but your work here, you need to work hard to represent the Lord. Understand that in the Christian life, there is both a, a defensive way to, be, to represent God and in, in, in the offensive way. Right, a defensive way is like something that you'll say no to. Like I'm gonna say no to drinking, I'm gonna say no to swearing, I'm gonna say no to all these immoral things. But if that's all you're known for, 
then that's, that's it. You're just known for the guy that just doesn't want to do things. But the Christian life has to be more active. It has to be, it has to be offensive. And, and so let's say for the tongue, it's not just you don't say bad words, but you must speak in a way that encourages people, that builds one another up, that is, is filled with wisdom and maturity. When it comes to, you know, you know when it comes to, Moral ethics is not just like I'm saying no to these things, but you promote righteousness. So when you see things that are immoral, you say you call those things out. So for the Christian life, unfortunately, in our world, we're only known for the defensive. We're always known as the people that are saying no to things. And that's why I think our, the Christian influence in the Western society is deteriorating because we don't do things outside of our comfort zone. You need to be willing to engage the world, having biblical, biblical convictions, work hard so that people can know that Christians actually are a benefit to society as opposed to just oppressing and saying no to other things. Christians need to be both defensive and saying no to the, to the wrong things and saying yes to the right things. We need to actively engage the world. And the, and the best way to do that in your workforce is to work hard. You need to work hard, just like Daniel's friends did. They, they understood the language. They, did, they learned all the vision classes. They did all of those things. And it made them influential in the Babylonian society. Now, if you have all these three, if you have godly friends if you have godly character and you're competent in your work, I know that God will use you in a very unique way. Even though this world seems to be hard on Christians, but you can still glorify God if you have godly friends that can encourage you to, to, to even confront you on sin and errors that you need to work on. You have these friends to, to walk alongside with you in this life until you get into glory. You have godly character that's built into you. You learn God's word. You know what God's moral standard is, and you follow through with it. You keep it. You don't break in terms of the, the season, but you hold on to it because that's going to make you stand out. That's going to, the people are going to wonder, why do you live a certain way? You say, because I live and believe, live believing and trusting in the Bible. And you want to be a competent worker. You want to be a blessing to society. This is what Matthew chapter 5 talks about by not having your light sh- like be covered, but let your light shine before men and so that they can know your good works. Work hard so that people can say, hey, why do you work so hard? As I work hard, it's not because of money. I work hard because I love Jesus and I want to represent him faithfully in this field. He's given me talents and abilities and opportunities and I want to use it as a good steward for his glory. And if it's a blessing to you, then praise the Lord. And if you have these three things in your life, I trust that no matter how strange the world will be, you will be able to honor the Lord just like how Daniel and his friends were, that they were living in a pagan society but God was still honored and they were used by God in a very unique way in all of history. And I trust that this and all of us in this time, we can be the same thing as well. We can be used by God in a very unique way to win people to Christ as well to give glory to God. Um, And I trust that if we hold to these three things, that God will be pleased with our life. Let's close our time in prayer. Father God, we confess there are moments in our life where we fail in terms of not having godly friends, that we sometimes strive out of laziness or selfishness to be alone. And we confess that to you, knowing that we're not being faithful to our fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, we confess as well that there are times when we fall short in terms of keeping uh, your commandments in our life. And Lord, we also know that there are times when we struggle with wanting to work hard because it's just so easy to be lazy. 
Lord, we confess these sins to you, and we ask you to give us grace to be able to do the things that are pleasing to you, to cultivate godly friends in our life, to, to, to ground ourselves with biblical convictions, and to be competent in our work. Be with us this week as we uh, enter into the world um, that we would honor you with our life. And may you receive all the glory. Give us all, also opportunity to evangelize and to win the loss and give them and share with them the hope that we have that's only found in you. We thank you for this time, your son's precious name. Amen.